the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast Conference USA edition here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for the Sun Belt, the American Conference, and Conference USA, of course. Uh, Joe Lundergan here back with you once again. Had a great 4th of July weekend um, with my good buddy, Eric Henry. How you doing today, man? I'm doing A-OK, man. I am looking forward to enjoying the 4th of July weekend. I've got an extended weekend over here, so looking to crank up the grill and uh, just, you know, be extremely American. Well, way to break the illusion now, because I said I had a good 4th of July weekend to pretend we're not recording this the day before, but... I, I, I totally missed that. You did. Oh, no, no worries. Um, yeah, no, of course the staple of 4th of July cooking hot dogs. I, uh, I'm going to be up in the, up in the mountains in Colorado for a wedding. So looking forward to that and looking forward to, um, people being conveniently not able to reach me because there's no reception. So that'll be good. <laughs> um, but, uh, only got a few more, like, well, I think we only have like less than eight weeks left until college football, right? We're getting there. You are correct, sir. Um, by my count, I've been on the FIU calendar, of course, as the FIU uh, beat writer. But, um, yeah, I think we're – as far as just culture wall kickoff, we are under eight weeks. I know uh, it is eight and a half weeks. or Yeah, a little under, little under nine weeks till FIU uh, kicks off at Tulane. So, yeah, we should be underneath the two-month two, two month mark, and I'm looking forward to college football season. Can't come soon enough. So close. And then we'll be cooking out hot dogs in the grill every weekend for, uh, for tailgating and just celebrating the, uh, the real America's game, if you ask me. But looking forward to seeing some of the top players in Conference USA this year. Um, and that's something that you've been uh, familiarizing yourself with quite a bit the last few weeks with your uh, top players in CUSA series. Uh, you just released the last little bit of it uh, earlier this week, I believe, with the final top 10. Um, first of all, how, how big of an undertaking was this? How did you even begin to kind of sort through all these different guys when they're all obviously different positions and have different criteria for being, you know, deemed good or successful. Yeah, Joe, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that. Cause I can obviously on the podcast, I can uh, elaborate a little bit more than maybe my words may allow. It, it was something I really wanted to do. Cause I mean, you'll see a lot of the bigger leagues kind of say, Hey, you know, top 10, top 15, top 20, et cetera, players uh, in the SEC or ACC or the big ten. So I, I just kind of, you know, it, I took a month to just kind of research and get the background. And it really was kind of a three-pronged deal. Where one, uh, the first thing I looked at was the projected all-conference teams. And, of course, Conference USA releases that uh, about a couple months ago. They released that in, in April, I believe. Um, we see the April or May they released that. So I took a look at that, just kind of paired that back with uh, stats. So, of course, you want to take a look at some of your leaders. But then the last thing I wanted to do, because you really, when putting on a list like this, I, I think it's of the utmost importance to do the players justice. So I went ahead and I contacted a beat writer from every single program, as well as a couple coaches. I, I won't name who, but I contacted a couple coaches from uh, various staffs. And lastly, I had a chance to talk to Brett Romberg, who called Conference USA Games for BN Sports last year. And I, that was really the, the, the kind of thing that put it over the top, where if, you know, I kind of put together a list, Joe, of like 70 guys. And I said, this more or less is, is kind of what we're working with here. And then I bounced that list off of the beat writers. So I would have, you know, for example, Jake Elman down at the Palm Beach Post or um, 
um, our friend Glenn Hill at the Houston Chronicle, I'd say, hey, I'm putting together this list of Conference USA's top 50 players. Give me two or three guys from your program who you think should be nominated. And then I would see, I would cross-check that with the guys I have on the list to see if that, you know, matches up. And we'll get into a name here in a second who actually didn't match up with mine, and I went ahead and cross-checked it, and he actually did make my list in the end. And then, like I said, I followed that up with, you know, talking to uh, coaches and uh, Brett Romberg as well. He, I, he was really a, a great source. I got a chance to ask him, you know, you, he does a ton of prep getting ready to call those games, and who are some of the players who you had uh, on your radar heading into the game, and then after the game, yeah, did those, those cool. match up with your expectations? So that was that really the criteria the list. list. And uh, <laughs> it took a lot, Joe. It it honestly took. I mean, I knocked it out in what about three weeks, but it, it probably took. Each set of 10 probably took me a good four days to put together and really feel confident that I had the right people slotted and and in in which place. You can get the 50 names. That's one thing. But then to have them slotted in the right area, which, of course, uh, certain fans let me know that they were they didn't believe that they were slotted in the right area. um, That also wasn't uh, a a bit of an undertaking. But all in all, I'm I'm really pleased with it. You know, it it seems to be really successful. And I'm I'm glad that. all, all in all, I'm glad the players could get some justice. I heard back from some players, some parents of players who felt that uh, they were happy to see said player get recognition. So at the end of the day, that's what it's about and kind of put out a good product. Nice. That's always fun when you get that kind of feedback from uh, from parents and family members, especially. But going through this this list, um, is there was there one team on here that kind of stood out to you where – in making this list, you thought there's a lot of guys from this team towards the top here. Well, okay, towards the top. Uh, if, if I'm going to say towards the top, the, the team would be Charlotte. And I know that's that's not uh, the most popular opinion, Joe. I, I don't know if you can believe this because you know we get a lot of feedback when when we may say a particular program isn't going to have a good season. I, I think I'm the only one who's caught a little bit of ribbing from some Charlotte fans. I don't want to say it's all, but from some Charlotte fans. Because I predicted or said that if this team can play up to its potential, they can have a good season. And they've been like, yeah, you know, you have us potentially winning seven games or eight games. It's not going to happen. And I'm, it's just kind of funny that fans would kind of give you, you know, a hard time for saying the team is going to win. But to answer your question, I have Alex Highsmith, uh, Cameron Clark, and Benny LeMay from Charlotte all in the top ten. And that kind of catches your eye because – you know, some people, most people, don't necessarily have Charlotte being an upper echelon CUSA team. And really what's holding them back is a quarterback, and that's something we can go into as the season gets closer and we can talk about some of their differences and some of their strengths. But Charlotte had a lot of players at the top. Uh, Southern Miss as well. I mean, on defense, uh, Kyle Hemby and guys like that, Rachim Booth. Uh, they have a lot of uh, solid players uh, uh, in, in their, on their defense and they made their top 20. And then lastly, FIU. And this is where it's tough because you don't want to come across, um, like a, like home a home home home. the Homer perspective, you know, once again, I have a real affiliation with FIU outside of covering the team. So it's not that. And of course the bias in the sense that I do get a chance to see the FIU players more than I do others. But when you look at the list, I mean, they had a lot of guys, Joe, who could have made this list. I mean, a couple of guys I left off in terms of, um, that program, Noah Curtis, uh, for example, is a guy who, if you look at college football news, they actually have Noah Curtis in their top 30 players, and he doesn't even make my list. Uh, so in, in that sense, there were a lot of FIU guys that could have won the list as well. 
Yeah, for sure. Speaking of FIU, uh, number two on your list, uh, not to spoil it, but I'm going to spoil it. Sage Lewis at uh, linebacker for FIU, number two on the list. Um, just how, you know, obviously he's a very important guy for FIU's defense going into this season, but what was it about him that, uh, you know, made you want to put him so high on this list? The thing about Sage, Joe, is quite frankly, if he isn't there last season, this team, they probably don't win nine games. And that's not to say that the offense wasn't talented enough to do so, but the run defense, as anyone who's heard me on this podcast knows, was not good. And Sage covered up a lot in terms of, I mean, just, let's just use the FAU game, for example, in which, if my memory serves me off the top of my head, they, they ran for over 400 yards that game. FAU did it on FIU. If Sage Lewis isn't there, you know, Devin Singletary and Karis White are probably still running to Tallahassee right now at this point. Um, I, Charlotte, Benny LeMay had a great game, uh, 150 something yards, four touchdowns. If Sage isn't there, as a matter of fact, it's a play that I put in the, in the article itself, which is Charlotte was up, but people forget this, that Charlotte was up 7-0 and driving to go up 14-0. And, uh, I shot finger, who's the back of running back for Charlotte, fumbles. Sage scooped it up and returned it the distance for a touchdown. And that, that's a swing right there that that game was going to be 14-3 and said it's 10-7 FIU and they only win uh, by a touchdown. So it's a play like that that just really kind of set Sage apart. And in, in addition to him setting a program record for tackles, he had nine passes defense last year. So he's very good for a middle linebacker in pass coverage. And all in all, I just felt that he – it was a combination of importance to his team, overall talent – production and just you know being a, a player who makes big time plays uh when a team needs it the most really kind of solidified decisions put sage it too makes sense and uh last question on this topic before we move on uh number one guy on the list kind of saw it coming in uh, north texas quarterback mason fine um obviously very highly skilled guy and i don't think there's a guy um in cusa who's more important to his team's success than Mason Fine. Do you agree with that? 100%, without question. That same criteria where I say that Sage Lewis plays such a huge part for the FIU defense, and they have a great pass secondary, a great secondary against the pass. Um, but Mason Fine is really, you know, he's the guy who makes that whole thing go. Uh, you and I have joked about on this podcast when North Texas was looking for an offensive coordinator, they should just, you know, name Mason Fine the co-offensive coordinator with Seth Luttrell. He's that important. And when you look at his background, Joe, I mean, it's no shock that the kid is successful. Uh, I had a, a conversation with a, an FAU blogger who was saying, oh, you know, um, he's a system quarterback and he's played in a certain you know system and that, that helps his success. And while that may be true to an extent, we're all products of, of our system, you know, whether that's football players or in life. Um, but Joe, Mason Fine is a guy, I don't know if you know this, he was top 10 all time in the history of high school football in the great state of America, the great state, the, the great country of America, um, in passing yards and passing touchdowns at the end of his career. So it, it's just not rocket science to think that a guy who played in a similar system in high school would have success in college. And he's really carried the North Texas program. And just one uh, last quick point that I'll make on the list before we move on. Uh, just want to address a couple guys who, who kind of had the most controversy as far as the ranking or being on or off the list. Three guys in particular, and uh, I'll let you, you know, kind of finish up with any thoughts you may have on it. Harrison Bryant at 12, FAU tight end. 
that was a guy who I got, uh, Jake uh, Elman, who decided to let me know. He said, hey, you know, I think you have Harrison Bryant too low. Um, he put it out to his audience. And, of course, that audience is the majority of FAU fans. Uh, I think it came back a resounding like 81% that I had him too low. Of course, there's you know some uh, some bias there with it being mostly Owl fans, but he was someone who, who caused a lot of controversy. Um, Amit Muhammad um, uh, was, was, a, was a guy as well who who excuse me, Amit Robertson. Uh, I'm thinking of um, Kari Muhammad from North Texas. Amit Robertson at eight. Um, I had some people say that he was a top five guy. Uh, overall, he's the best quarterback in Conference USA, so I don't think I necessarily slighted him. And the last two, I would say, Joe, the, this one's up your alley, being a Western Kentucky guy. Mm-hmm. I had Aaron Cephas on the list at 39. Um, who I left off was Lucky Jackson. And I was really torn about that because I, I I like Lucky a lot as a player. Um, it's just kind of hard to tell. Uh, Cephas has a higher upside. He's a bigger play, a big play potential guy. Um, so I left Lucky Jackson off the list. He's actually on college football news' list in the top 30. And then James Morgan, Jack Abraham. I have James on my list in the top 15. Uh, college football news actually doesn't have James Morgan in their top 30. Instead, they put Jack Abraham in their top 30. So those are three names that caused a little bit of controversy. Interesting, yeah. I uh, I don't disagree too much on the Aaron Cephas versus Lucky Jackson thing. I think as, as talented as, as Lucky is, I think – uh, teams kind of just figured out a better way to defend him uh, last season, and it, it certainly didn't help with the quarterback situation that they had going on. Um, hard to show you're good when you know people aren't getting you the ball often or even close to you in some cases. But anyway, um, no, I thought it was a good series overall. So um, if you haven't checked that out already, go ahead and do that. I'll link it in the body of the article for this podcast episode. Um, but they're out there on the internet and on Twitter and stuff already. So uh, read that if you're looking for more content to get you primed for the upcoming football season. Uh, next topic, uh, we've talked about UConn already, uh, as has Joe Talk, with uh, them leaving the AAC to go back to the Big East in basketball and their fate in football. Um, well, they're figuring it out. And that kind of spawned a Twitter discussion amongst CUSA fans on uh, who should quote unquote move up to the AAC to take the Huskies spot. Is that kind of fair to say? Is that what was going on, Eric? You pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's not an understatement. I saw fans from just off the top of my head, FAU, FIU, Charlotte, Old Dominion, Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, UAB, uh, North Texas, you know, pretty much all of CUSA schools, except for maybe a handful, maybe um, UTEP or or UTSA, I didn't see much uh, of an argument from those fans. But it just was kind of surprising. And that's not to say that I don't think that there are CUSA schools that could be competitive, but I think fans tend to get lost in the hoopla of football and what that can do for your program. And they don't necessarily think about the totality of moving an entire athletic department and and an entire athletic operation up a league. The example I'll use is USF. When USF made the move from, if my memory serves me correct, Conference USA to the Big East. Yeah, I believe that was the move before the Big East became the American. Mm -hmm. The football program flourished. I mean, they did well. Um, that for a point in time, they were ranked number two in the nation. 
Uh, if you live anywhere near these parts in Florida, USF fans won't let you forget it. But the, the program that took the hardest hit was basketball. I mean, they were a perennial CUSA contender under Seth Greenberg, who's now an ESPN analyst. If you're a college hoops fan, I'm sure you know that name. But he uh, coached in Tampa for about seven years and had the team just – they made a couple of NITs just on the cusp of making the NCAA. And then they went to the Big East. And, of course, Joe, you can remember, this is, this is the Big East that we know now. This was the Big East with UConn and Syracuse and Georgetown, et cetera, et cetera. And they just got demolished for years. So I think that's something that fans should take into, a, take into account when saying, hey, I want my school to move up a league. Now, as far as the Conference USA programs or fan bases, I should say, who uh, kind of made their argument to go up, I have three in mind who I would say, okay, maybe. Ideally, I'd like to see all the programs stay. I mean, being biased, this is the Conference USA podcast, and I think um, a lot of the programs have room to grow. But I would say Old Dominion kind of won me over as far as their facilities argument. And they've been solid in basketball over the years. Football, they're not coming off of the best of seasons, and that kind of hinders certain things. But overall, as an athletic program, they've been pretty solid. UAB is in a really good position with the new football stadium going up. And they're also a team, uh, a, a school that's had solid success in basketball and in other sports. And then the other one that, that kind of caught me, my eye and I thought, hmm, maybe, was Charlotte. And here's why. And I know I, I've talked a lot about the 49ers on this podcast, so I won't belabor the point. Big city, the athletic department seems to be heading in the right direction. And there's room for growth. Now, what would trouble me about them potentially making the move is I think they fall into the same categories as mentioned with USF, where I think they might take an immediate hit, and that might be too much to sustain, uh, particularly in football. I think in basketball, Charlotte's been a solid program, and they can handle themselves as well as their other sports. Um, But just kind of the banter as far as which schools can make it and which ones couldn't. uh, Just call me by surprise. I I think that – in my opinion, the, I don't know how you feel about this, Joe. I've made this argument on Twitter. I think CUSA and the American, there's a lot more parity than people realize um, outside of, I mean, the peak in the American, your UCFs and USFs probably have a higher peak than you have in the C, in CUSA. But outside of that, I think there's a lot more parity. So I don't think there should be just this huge reach to, to jump up outside of the obvious, which is. The money, the the money is larger in Conference USA as far as revenue and TV contracts and, and things of that nature. So outside of that, uh, I just don't see any reason for any Conference USA programs really make a move right now. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree with you in that I don't think there's really anybody uh, within Conference USA that really qualifies for, um, you know, if we're talking about this in terms like it's european soccer or somebody i don't think there's anybody really that would get uh get promoted to the next tier right now based on success of all sports you go through anybody in this league right now if they're having success they're either having success in one sport and struggling in another or they're just struggling across the board right now unfortunately there's not really anybody um on this list who's having success to the point that you would think you know they and, and that's again assuming like the american is a promotion that's a matter of perspective i i think it's there's definitely more opportunities to like be seen with american conference football right now but you know again it's not just about football it's about 
how you perform across the board. And I think there's a, there's a lot of schools in CUSA right now who are maybe excelling at, at one thing, but not having, you know, that success across the board, like I mentioned. So I think I have to agree with you on that one. But it, I, from the little bit that I did see, it was funny, the discussion that it sparked in, um, you know, people fighting over fighting over the crown, so to speak. And in, in, in reality, I don't think any of them actually deserved it. <laughs> exactly. Um, with that, then we can move on to uh, some transfer news and uh, roster additions going on throughout the league. Um First notable one that comes to mind for North Texas adding a uh, blue shirt defensive end out of uh, junior college there, Mr. Asher Fro. Um, and interestingly enough, they he will join the team as a blue shirt. For those who don't know, a blue shirt is uh, a blue shirt is where they are on scholarship and they can practice, but they can't play in games. Basically, it means like the athlete wasn't quote unquote formally recruited um but they are on scholarship as of like the first day that they're a freshman so it's a it's a weird situation it's not super common um but uh that's what's going on in north texas um among any of the other transfer news that's out there what sticks out to you eric one that sticks out to me and i just find the whole situation kind of curious is jackson tyner Heading out from Rice, he's a, I mean, a heck of an athlete, you know, big kid, 6'4", 6'5", about 245 pounds. But it just seemed that things weren't going to work out there with Mike Bloomgren. And I actually read an article uh, where the, the situation was that Mike Bloomgren actually sat Jackson Tyner down and said, hey, I think you should play baseball. Uh, he's a two-sport athlete, does play baseball and football at Rice, or, or was, excuse me, playing both sports at Rice. And I just found it, it interesting that, you know, the coach would sit him down and say, hey, um, I don't think it's going to work out here for you football-wise, so focus on baseball. Excuse me. The reason I say that it's interesting is Rice's quarterback situation isn't exactly solid. Uh, it's not exactly settled. And, you know, yes, they brought in Tom Stewart from Harvard, and it does kind of look like he has the inside edge. I mean, he's definitely a Bloomgren guy, um, kind of ran a similar system that uh, Bloomgren was with at Stanford. Uh, but it, it just seems to me that there would be room. I mean, you know, I got a chance to see, um, um, and of course I'm forgetting the kid's name right now, who, who played, who started in place of Sean Stankovich when Rice came to FIU. But they played a, like all three quarterbacks. They played uh, Wiley Green. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the kid's name right now. I have to look it up when, uh, when I, I toss it back to you. But uh, it's a crowded quarterback room. They've got Wiley Green. They've got Tom Stewart. Um, so it, it just seems as if it, that quarterback situation might be a little bit wide open. And the fact that he, A, suggested that Tyner play baseball, and then, B, Tyner did focus on baseball and decided, no, I still want to play football, and now he's at Texas Tech. It's just interesting to me. Absolutely. And, like, that's a pretty clear indicator, I feel like, of where you stand in the QB hierarchy. If your coach says, hey, why don't you go do something else, That uh, that's – that's a pretty clear sign of, of what's going on there. But um, yeah, I think that was one of the topics we had with uh, Glenn Hill when he was on the show a few uh, weeks ago or whenever that was um, and talking about the, the crowded QB room that's going on there. And like they didn't have the, the definitive guy yet. And it uh, looks like Tyner's definitively not the guy. So 
uh, I don't know. It's probably kind of the best for all parties, I guess. Like, you know, if you really love football that much, then by all means, chase your dream. But, you know, with why would you stay in a situation like he clearly was in at Rice where the coaches don't have faith in you or whoever you want to put it? So, I mean, I think it's a good move for for both parties at this point. But, um, yeah, definitely a weird situation, I guess, when your coach tells you to to quit and go play baseball. I, I feel like that hasn't happened too many times in the course of, uh, at least recently in the course of college football. But I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That, that, I think that was the thing that stood out the most that, you know, Mike Lundgren, and I mean, to his credit, you know, sat him down and said, hey, it's not going to work out for you here, so go play another sport. But I guess, you know, my spidey senses went up when he decided, hey, I still want to play football and ends up, you know, playing for Texas Tech. But, yeah, like you mentioned, all in all, it's probably the best situation for all parties involved. And that other quarterback I was trying to remember who started the game in place of Sean Stanks, which was Evan Marshman, who was also part of that quarterback room. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting quarterback competition to keep your eye on and see who uh, emerges from there as the starter. Right. I was blanking on that name, too. So thank you for looking it up. Um, was there any other roster additions or subtractions that uh, were noteworthy to you before we move on? The only other ones that stood out to me, and of course, we're covering the FIU program. I have a chance to see this up close. FIU, I mean, the turnover at the defensive line has just been incredible. Uh, Josh Little, he's no longer with the program. He was a guy who was at Kansas State before coming to FIU. Uh, he was the second defensive lineman who, or excuse me, the third defensive lineman, including Furman Silva, uh, Taylor Humphrey, and Josh Little, who all saw significant time last year who are no longer with the program. Instead, they get a kid, Chris Whitaker, from Kentucky. Not 100% sure if he's going to be eligible this year or not. I know they're seeking the waiver. Um, defensive end was a three-star recruit you know, in the SEC. He's already at FIU and enrolled in classes. And then the next name I'm hearing, who it's, it's pretty much a certainty that he will be part of the program uh, next year, is Damon Moore, who was a defensive tackle, uh, six-year guy, uh, had to sit out two years in San Diego State. Played in, you know, he was just a rotational guy, played in about 25 games, didn't really crack the starting rotation, but it's going to be interesting to see what role he may play if he does indeed end up at FIU. Uh, once again, it's a situation where it, it's looking more likely than not that that is where Damon Moore is going to end up. Yeah, uh, could be a good addition there, but um, time will tell, I guess. I'm not too familiar with where he would fit in there, but I feel like, I feel like, you know, oh, God. Big yawn. Apologize. Um, but yeah, I feel it's, like, it's late. It's late, Joe. You're off the hook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like I mentioned preparing for uh, for a big trip here, and I've been running around all day. But uh, yeah, no, I feel like that will be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, finally, I think the last thing we wanted to kind of touch on on the show was um, something that's more just a college football discussion in general. Um, and something I think more CUSA teams should do to kind of combat the issue of low attendance that appears to be prevalent, not just in CUSA, but through all of college football. And that is cheap concessions um, or the issue rather is low attendance, but a way to solve that is cheap concessions, which is what, uh, forgive me to, if there's any raging Cajun fans out there, because I completely forget every other day what it is you want to be called in terms of your university but ull ul lafayette louisiana whichever one it is god help me um (laughs) recently switched up their concessions menu to be uh way more affordable and um 
and it's really a great move. I think hot dogs are a dollar. Domestic beer is $2. Um, an icy for three bucks. Large popcorn is three bucks. Um, you know, if you, if you look for it, the full menus out there, but like, I think this is a really good move because it's a discussion that we've had before, um, this very off season actually, in that it, it's so much more convenient to just watch a game from your couch and on your TV than to make the trip to a stadium. Uh, and that's obviously a huge factor of why attendance is so low. Um, but you know, for these G five teams in order to like combat, uh, the competition. And in a lot of cases, it's bigger college football teams that are, you know, a stone's throw away like it, like it is in most States in the South. Um, you got to stand out. And I think this is a pretty, pretty easy way to do that. And it's, it's something that a, a lot of broke college kids are going to get on board with. And it's a lot, something that a lot of like people with, with families are going to get on board with. Cause I mean, I don't know if you go to, I don't know, let's just say LSU, which is probably the, you know, the closest P five it's, just to get everybody in and you're looking at a few hundred bucks probably. And then you're going to drop another, you know, probably like a hundred at least on food. If you have, you know, if it's like you, your significant other and like two kids, you know what I mean? So I think with this, that eliminates a big thing that was probably detracting people. And like, I'm, you know, as, as a fat man, I can get down with some, some dollar hot dogs and $2 beers all day. So I think it's a good move. And, Absolutely, more CUSA teams need to get on this bandwagon. Joe, I, you know, all that stuff we talked about before, that was just the precursor to what was really bugging us and what has made us sit down and want to do this podcast. Um, I love this from ULL slash Louisiana Lafayette slash Lafayette slash Louisiana, whatever they're calling themselves these days. Um, I just, I, let's, let's just break this down. Uh, if you're in a smaller city like, Louisiana Lafayette is. Yeah. You can easily be, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound as if I'm being hyperbolic here. You can be one of the better food options in town by, by you know, getting fans out to a, to a football game and having, let's just look at this for a second. Uh, you're telling me I can get a $2 quesadilla, a $3 hamburger, and $3 nachos, and, you know, a, a Dasani for all under 15 bucks. I mean, I'm not advocating for that kind of diet on a regular basis, but I mean, if you want a, a fan friendly wage, whether it's you're a college kid who is going to spend, you know, uh, 10 bucks at Taco Bell, or if, if you're a family of four, you can realistically take your family to a football game by these prices for under 50 bucks. I mean, let's, let's say tickets are 10 bucks a pop. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just think it's a phenomenal idea. And I mean, when you look at Conference USA, they're kind of in a weird situation in that you have a handful of schools who are in larger metropolitan areas, right? So FAU, well, FIU, uh, we won't put Boca as far as a large metropolitan area. My apologies to the people in Boca. Um, FIU is in Miami. UTSA is in San Antonio. Rice is in Houston. You know, Charlotte is, is in Charlotte, Tennessee. Charlotte, 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 Tennessee. Charlotte, North Carolina. Tell us late. Once again, we're struggling here. Um, some of them are, are in larger metropolitan areas, so that won't necessarily play well, right? Then you have like a UTEP where there's phenomenal food in El Paso. I mean, that just goes without saying. Um, but if I'm in a Ruston, Louisiana, right? Or if I'm in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, or if I'm in Huntington, West Virginia, I'm glad I'm getting these states right. I slipped up last time. Uh, those prices would be a phenomenal deal to get a chance to catch a game. And, you know, I, 
you can eat. Like, you don't have to worry about um, feeding yourself before the game. It's nice. There's something charming, in my opinion, about getting a chance to go to the ball game. And if you want to, you know, grab a hot dog or a burger, you can there at, at the at the ballpark or at the stadium as opposed to having to do so prior and feeling like you can't because you're priced out. You know, I know at FIU, I'll give you an example. There was a stadium, a stadium delay, a rain delay because um, of lightning. Once again, I will get this right eventually, guys. There was a lightning delay uh, for the Rice game, I believe it was. No, it was the it was, it was an early season game. They all run together at this point. But the point of the story is, uh, I, I was you know underneath the stadium because they had all of us evacuate the area that includes the press box. Uh, we had to go down to lower areas, and a bottle of water cost me five bucks. So I mean, think about it. For the same five bucks that I bought that bottle of water, I could have easily had uh, a cheese quesadilla, a water, and a hot dog. I mean, you can't beat that. So I just think it's a phenomenal idea. It might be something that more conference USA teams should consider. And I mean, what's the what's the hurt? I mean, let's just kind of flesh this out for a second, Joe. Um, are conference USA teams really doing that much more in revenue by charging double these prices? And maybe fans are saying, "Hey, I'm I'm not going to indulge at the stadium," uh, as opposed to you know you lower your prices a little bit. And not only do I think you'll have more people will choose to indulge. I think it's a great draw for fans. Absolutely. And like, yeah, you can't, you can't imagine that they're generating too much revenue and concessions with like what they charge. And, you know, if you can't get people in the door, then like you're not going to make money on concessions anyway. Um, But in just looking at this menu and like the type of items and the prices that are on it, I, uh, I, my first reaction was like, this looks like cookouts menu. You know what I'm talking about from the yeah. East Coast chain? That's that's really yeah. what it reminded me of. Like where you get like for like five bucks, you get like a burger, like fries, a corn dog, or like a drink and a quesadilla. And like when I the second I saw the quesadilla, I was like, I they I think they consulted with cookout. So that's uh that was my reaction. But uh, yeah, I think we're I think we're in agreement that this is a really solid move for them and Fingers crossed more teams do it because, uh, God help me, going to a college football game is not cheap nowadays. Exactly. You nailed it. You know, I just think uh, more programs should do it. And there's just what's, – what's the harm? I mean, I, I just think it's uh, having a, uh, making a good faith investment in your fans by lowering prices, kind of incentivizing people to come out to the stadium, it can't hurt. And, you know, once again, like you said, broke college kid, I know where you find me out there – indulging in dollar hot dogs. Uh, UCF used to do that for baseball games on Wednesdays. Anytime there was a Wednesday baseball game, it'd be dollar dog night. And uh, I've skipped my fair share of classes at UCF to indulge in dollar dog night because that was there. So can't hurt. For sure. College football needs to, uh, you know, take more of a page out of, uh, out of baseball's book at this point, because uh, that's, that's just where we are in terms of people's, uh, attention spans and just the overall comfort level that comes with sitting in a big stadium now. Um, but probably will work out. And like I said, hopefully more people adopt this practice. And I think with that, that's all we really have for you on this episode of the show. Once again, um, by the time this comes out, hope you all had a great holiday weekend. Uh, got to see some fireworks, spend time with the family, all that good stuff. 
Um, keep coming back every week for more episodes until the start of the season, which we'll still be doing episodes once a week during the start of the season, but I digress. Check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football goodness. Uh, follow us on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then, of course, Underdog Dynasty is at Underdog Dynasty. Like them on Facebook as well. And then uh, if you like the show, leave us a review. It helps us grow. And uh, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, all that good stuff. Um, with that, we'll say have a great rest of your week, everybody. Have a... Uh, Abba dabba do. <laughs> Happy football watching. <laughs> <laughs>